Hello. Hello. Oh, hello, dear listeners. Sorry, you just caught me whistling. Very badly, no doubt. What? You're back here for another story time? Where were we? Hmm, yes, that's right. Chapter four. Well, let's be getting on with it. No time like the present. Ready, steady, go. Chapter four, the ox's sweet treats. Zip it, you scallywags! You know the drill, bums on seats, fingers on lips, shouted Miss Oxbull, the terrifying headmistress at St Cuthbert's Primary School, or the ox, as she was more commonly known behind her back. The ox had the most terrible dress sense, and this morning was no exception. She was wearing a bright orange trouser suit with purple stripes and spots with what looked like a fireman's helmet on her head and gold-painted clogs. It was as if she'd been dressed by a toddler, a toddler with their eyes closed, standing on their head and deliberately trying to be silly whilst half-watching Iggle Piggle or some other nonsense. It was 9.30am on a Monday morning as the children filed into the school hall. There was a buzz of anticipation. The kids knew something was up. Normally, assembly took place on a Tuesday, but it had been brought forward. There must be something important to announce, but would it be good or would it be bad? Perhaps the ox was leaving. Perhaps she had decided to retire to a remote island to paddle her feet in the sea and eat chocolate eclairs. Right, you rotters! I have had to take the unprecedented step of bringing assembly forward for a gravely serious matter. As you are no doubt aware, there is a thief in our midst, and I wouldn't mind betting it is one of you scoundrels. On Friday, the naughty step was taken from the rascal room, and just this very morning, some very important objects to me personally removed from my office. I've no doubt it's one of you scoundrels trying to play a trick on me, your lovable headmistress. Step forward now and own up, and I'll only tell you off a teeny-weeny little bit, and I won't even tell your parents honest, she said with her fingers crossed behind her back. But no one moved. The ox's face started going red as if smoke was about to start coming from her ears and her head was about to explode. I want my cream cakes and my fizzy orange back, she screamed. I want them back now. I need my sugar rush. Miss Lush, take over. And with that, the ox stormed off the stage and went back to her office for a massage and to see if there was still half of last week's chocolate brownie in her bin. The naughty step in the ox's sweet treats. The thief must be St Cuthbert's kid, Jenny said to Alex as they left assembly. But who could it be? I wouldn't put it past Pinky Pink for a laugh. Nah, not Pinky style, said Joe, who was walking behind them. I wouldn't be surprised if it was George Dismal breaking into the school and getting his own back for the dodge battle defeat. I reckon it's aliens, or goblins, or ghouls, or ghosts, or something, chirped little Harry Basher from year two, who had been eavesdropping and was always super excited about everything, like a monkey in a banana tree. Whatever, Harry, said Jenny, rolling her eyes and shaking her head, trying to see if this would make her dizzy. Talking of ghouls, what are you wearing to the cricket party, eh, Bomb? Jenny said to Alex. I'm going to go as an evil goblin queen. I've got some green face paint to make myself look super gross. It'll be really funny. Dunno, said Alex. I might just cut some holes in the bedsheet and go as a ghost. I'm not much into dressing up. Don't be a grumpy chop, said Jenny. Get involved. You can be my goblin king if you like. Mm, no thanks, said Alex. There's no way I'm going to get covered in green makeup. I look like the Incredible Hulk's baby. Spoil sport, said Jenny, grinning. And did you know, dear readers, that a goblin is a monstrous creature from European folklore? They often have various different appearances, but they're usually small, mischievous and greedy, and they have magical abilities. Mm, wouldn't want to meet one of those, would you? On with the story. 
Chapter Five: The Food and the Bad. Are you going down to the shed to play with little Pete? Mama G said to Joe as he grabbed a carrot stick and opened the patio door. Yes, I'm going down to the shed for some peace and quiet and to work on my um little project. Pete's not there though. I've not seen him for months. He was in a bad mood after the dodge battle and mumbled something about getting away for a while. I've not seen him since. He'll turn up though. He usually does. Oh, that's nice, dear," said Mama G, looking towards Daddy O. Both of them wondering if this meant that the phase was over, and that was the end of Joe's imaginary friend, Mad Pete the Pirate. Only he wasn't imaginary at all. He was real and lived in the playhouse at the bottom of the garden at Number Four Badger's Bottom. Only now he didn't. He had gone walkabout and hadn't been seen. Alex feared he might have been eaten by a duck. They were always wandering around Boggle, looking like they owned the place and giving the evil eye. Alex was quite sure they would have gobbled up a party snack given half the chance. Or maybe he was trodden by a rhino was now flattened like a little pirate pancake. Alex liked pancakes. Alex then turned back to Joe and whispered, It's a bit strange that all these things are going missing with Mad Pete on walkabout. Do you think it could be him? Seems a bit too much of a coincidence. Nah, I don't think it's Mad Pete for two reasons, said Joe confidently. Firstly, I can't see any way he can make it off with the naughty step. He's only two inches high after all. Secondly... He's not into cream cakes. He's more of a savoury man. Had it been a wheel of cheese and a pack of crackers, then I would have been worried. But sweet treats, cream cakes, it's just not him, Joe said. Although it looked to Alex that he hadn't completely convinced himself. It might be Pete, Alex thought. I just feel so angry! I want revenge and I want it bad! The voice came from within an old rabbit hole behind the garden at number 32 Badger's Bottom, the run-down house lived in by old Jedi Jim at the end of the street that backed onto the Swanee River and the bubbling bog with the spotty frogs. But the voice didn't come from a human or an animal. It came from a little yellow lemon, no more than eight centimetres high, with little lemon arms and little lemon legs. For too long my kind have been abused and thrown away like rubbish. Not a meal in our own right, just an accompaniment, an add-on, a nice to have. Well, no more, I tell you. I'm going to get that pancake and see how he likes to be chopped up and added to an ice-cold fizzy drink, left to go sad and soggy. What are we going to do, boss? said a slightly passed a piece of broccoli, looking up at the angry lemon. Splits has an idea, he said, turning to the brown banana sitting on a beanbag for a chair, with his little banana legs folded and his arms crossed. Don't worry, Lemon Face. You'll have your revenge in this life or the next. We'll get that pancake and we'll feed him to the frogs. Or maybe the ducks. Or maybe some other greedy animal. Apparently they're piranhas here, said Mr Broccoli. And Rhino! Please let's feed him to the Rhino, pretty please! That pancake ain't going to be a pancake for long. He's going to be toast. And not just any old toast. The worst kind. He's going to be burnt, cold, plain toast, said Splits. Listen in. Here's the plan. Did you know, dear listeners, that it was the ancient Greeks and Romans that ate pancakes sweetened with honey? The Elizabethans in England ate them flavoured with spices, sherry and apple. They're traditionally eaten on Shrove Tuesday or Pancake Day. What's your favourite pancake filling? I like lemon and sugar. Yummies! Chapter 6. The Cricket Party Alex jumped out of bed bright-eyed and bushy-tailed like a rabbit who had just come first in a village fate cutest bunny competition and had won his own body weight in carrots. Alex threw open the curtains and the early morning sun shone through. Yes! said Alex, high-fiving himself and singing a made-up tune. Saturday morning and the weather's looking fine. Fine, fine, fine. The weather's looking fine. The sun is out and shining today. It's going to be a great day for cricket. Let's play. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. I'm going to kick Dad's butt and score the winning runs. It's cricket time! Alex shouted excitedly as he ran down the stairs to breakfast. 
You could say Alex liked cricket. He liked it a lot and he was good. But he would be up against Lathan Lashington's team that was bound to be mostly grown-ups. Nevertheless, Alex overconfidently predicted that he would be the star of the match and on the winning team. Daddy-O was already downstairs eating his porridge. The food of champions, he called it. Joe was eating honey cornflakes. Ted gave a little woof, which in dog language said, Oi, Joe, make me some anti-gravity boots so I can chase squirrels up trees. Go on, pretty please. I'll give you a good licking if you do. Also, can I have some honey cornflakes? Don't get cocky, Daddy-O said to Alex. Remember, you're up against your old man and I've still got a few tricks up my sleeve. Where do you think you got your cricket talent from? Probably mum, or maybe grandpa, or maybe it was given from God himself or herself or whatever, said Alex cheekily. What does Jabba think, Joe? Daddy-O said. Joe slid over to his parrot's cage and gave him a spoonful of Mama G's special sauce and some birdseed. Jabba had an amazing ability to predict Premier League football scores. He got them right most of the time. 1-0 to West Ham, squawked Jabba. 3-2 to Arsenal. 1-0 to Abington. 1-0 to Abington, what does that mean, said Alex. It means Jabba doesn't understand cricket, said Joe. I'm working on that, though. Right, well, sit down, Alex, and eat your breakfast, said Daddy-O. How many Weetabix this morning? Two or three? Six, said Alex. I mean business. The Abingtons walked across to the old manor house in Great Boggle for 10.30, ready for the toss of the coin ahead of their 11am start. The grounds of the old manor house looked superb, with the grass shining brightly in the sun and the flowers blooming. At the front of the house was a lawn so big it hosted a cricket pitch, which Lathan Lashington ensured was maintained to the very highest standard all year round at great expense. Within the back gardens and surrounding the pitch were all sorts of village fate tents, stalls and games. Miss Lush was there helping out on the traditional white elephant stool, which was next to the pink giraffe stool. Roll down, roll down! Grab yourself a bargain, she was shouting. Miss Lush was always getting her sayings mixed up, like the time her class were being rowdy and she said the noise was like a herd of earwigs and they needed to be as quiet as a moose. Behind the white elephant stool there was whack-a-mole, basher-badger, squash-a-spider, slap-a-slug and kick-a-kangaroo. None of which involved real animals, because that would be cruel. There was chuck-a-wet sponge at the priest, chuck-a-cream pie at the roly-poly postman, you like that, and chuck-a-cow-pat at Farmer Pat, you like that as well. There was the book stool, the cake stool, the bottle stool, the jam stool and the cider stool. There was the beer tent, the competition tent, the tea and cake tent and the tent tent, which was a tent full of tents, which was intense. Then there was the ice cream van, the pasty van, the burger van and the donut van. There was the great Mahoo performing magic tricks and pulling stuff out of his hat like bunny rabbits and a saltwater crocodile. Then there was his arch rival, the stinky, greasy-haired Houdini, the magician and illusionist, who was attempting to saw a sheep in half and trying to make his assistant, one-legged Linda, disappear. Or was it the other way round? In between tricks, he was pulling faces at the great Mahoo. The fate was already filling up with villagers enjoying the various games and treats and looking for bargains before settling down to the cricket. Pinky Pink was whacking moles and soaking vickers. Granny Duck was feeding the ducks. Granny Goose wasn't. She hated those ducks. She didn't much like geese either. Isabella and Felicity Westlake, a.k.a. Izzy Wiz and Fizzy Wiz, were helping out with a tombola and little Harry Basher was eating a donut and drinking fizzy pop whilst watching magic. Joe was doing nothing, sitting under a tall oak tree scribbling into his pad of paper with a huge grin on his face. At 10.50, Latham Lashington wandered into the centre of the cricket pitch followed by his two daughters, Lola and Liza. Behind them were the two umpires, Vic the Priest, who had just dried himself up from the wet sponge onslaught, and Robbie Dobbins, the jolly roly-poly postman, who had still had a bit of cream pie on his left ear. Lovely day for it, beamed the rotund postie, wiping the cream from his ear and slyly eating it, hoping no one was looking. Have you got the old coin, Vic? 
Ah yes, here it is, the magnificent golden medallion of Boggle, making its customary annual appearance before being locked away in the church vault for safekeeping. The golden medallion of Boggle was an old, large, mysterious coin that was thought to date back to Roman times, which was a very long time ago, way before even your mum and dad were born, and even before TV was invented. They didn't know exactly how old it was, though, as no one had bothered to get it checked out. Ah, it's a beauty all right, said Robbie. Money can't buy that. It's probably a million years old and worth a king's fortune. Watch out for the boggle thief, eh? Let's not get carried away, eh, Posty, said Vic, as he tossed the coin into the air and he shouted, Heads or tails, ladies first. Lola and Liza took a quick look at each other and together said, Tails, tails, tails never fails. And it didn't. Tails it is, young ladies. What's it going to be, said Vic? We're going to have a bowl first, please, Liza said. Ah, an excellent choice. Early morning conditions will be good for a bowl, but that sun will warm the pitch up and it'll be a road for batting on later. Mark my words, said the know-it-all vicar. Right, team, gather round, said Liza Lashington. Quick introductions. I'm Liza, and these are my schoolmates, Kenji and Jonesy. You all know Kenji. His dad's the great Mahoo. And we were one short, so Stan the Miracle Milkman kindly agreed to help us out. Safe pair of hands, eh, Stan? And as usual, we roped in the older Basher brothers, Larry and Gary. Who have you got, Lola? This is Big Ed and Batman, and over here we've got Alex and Jenny, said Lola. Well, I hope you can handle yourself, kids, said Liza. Look who Dad's got. Alex looked across the other side of the pitch and couldn't believe that standing next to Daddy-O was George and Gina Dismal. How'd they get picked, Johnny muttered. That dimwit dad of theirs does the accounts for my pops. Pops must owe him one, said Lola, shrugging her shoulders. In fact, he must really owe him one, she thought to herself, as her pops didn't hide the fact that he thought Dwayne Dismal was a right royal plonker, so wouldn't normally be handing out favours to him. But that wasn't all. They had the horrible magic man Hugh Deeney and the annoying Mr English, the French teacher, who always spoke to you half in French, even if you were in year three and could barely speak English. Bonjour, my petit pie, he would say, which is French for something weird like, I don't know, hello salad man or something like that. What was Auntie G doing there? She must have been about a hundred years old. But there she was, sitting in a deck chair, dressed in pristine cricket whites and tossing a cricket ball between her hands. Surely she wouldn't be playing. She wasn't going to be able to do much. She must be making up the numbers, Alex thought. They did have Freddie Flinders, though, and he was good. He coached at Boggerville Cricket Club. He could have been professional and played for England, but he ate too many pies and drank too much cider and was always getting drunk and singing uh, songs about getting knocked down and getting back up again. Who's that? said Jenny to Lola pointing towards a short kid wearing Bermuda shorts and a baseball cap backwards. That's Bobby Socks. He's American. He just moved here two months ago. His mum is a client for my pops. She made a million bucks selling novelty socks. Socks, socks, they're called. Anyway, pops promised him a game to keep his mum sweet, even though he doesn't know anything about cricket. He just goes on about baseball all the time. Pops hates baseball. He says it's just not cricket. Bobby's okay, though. He started at St Bertie's. He's just a bit of a know-it-all, said Lola. Alex walked out on the field of play, ready for the match to start, but as he did so, he caught a glimpse of the front-page story of the Boggleville Herald. Net closes in on Boggle Thief by Verity Bones. The rotter thief has returned, and the two-month robbing rampage continues. This time, the magic and joke shop of Lesser Boggle's very own Benji Okazaki, better known through the Boggles as the Great Mahoo, was the target. They took a Harry Potter costume, a magic wand, and loads of old junk shop tats. I'm, I'm, I mean good quality merchandise, said the Great Mahoo. But what really got my goat was that they took my goat. Big Ronnie's called. He's got a black stripe down his side and thinks he's a zebra. And they took my oldest and best bunny rabbit, Bugsy. He's one of a kind. All white with jet black ears. I normally have three bunnies, but now there are only two. I thought the other two might have eaten poor little Bugsy, but then I remembered they're vegetarians, so Bug- Bugsy must have been stolen. PC Useless was no help either. He just told me to pull another one out of my hat to save him the bother of looking. Silly man.
but readers. Your very own Verity Bones was on the scene immediately. Well, immediately the next day. Once I'd had some shut-eye, had a bubble bath and a fry-up and got my hair and nails done. Well, once on the scene, I spotted what PC Useless had missed. Clues, dear readers, clues were found. The boggle thief had left a trail of dirt leading out of the smashed-up doorway and some mysterious glow-in-the-dark slime, which was weird. The thief is getting lazy, readers. It's only a matter of time until Verity Bones cracks the case. Hmm, thought Alex. Two months has been going on, and two months since Bobby Socks and his family arrived in Great Boggle. Was it a coincidence? Hmm, was it a coincidence indeed, dear listeners? That's the end of chapter six. But before I leave you once more, I do have a nugget of information for you, a factoid, if you will. Did you know Mahu is Japanese word meaning magic? So the great Mahu must mean the great magic. Ooh, interesting, huh? Now, I'm afraid that's where we have to call it a day once more, but I do hope you'll return for Chapter 7. The cricket match is about to start, and I want to know who's going to win. Will it be Alex, or will it be Daddy-O? You'll have to tune in next time to find out. See you later, alligators. <laughs>